Good morning, guys, and welcome to another episode of the CEO Story. We've got a great one today. We've got Cassie Petrie, who is the owner of a fantastic company called CrowdSurf. Cassie, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good, and thank you for, for having me. Excited to do this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So can you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and a little bit about CrowdSurf and what you guys do? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I guess I'll start with me. Um, I'm from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and my sort of background leading into CrowdSurf was I was actually like the biggest Backstreet Boys fan ever. I, when I was 12, I ran um, this on, you know, it's, it's, it would be kind of the equivalent of running a big like Instagram account, but I ran an AOL zine is what you called it, but you, you collected subscribers and um, I had, you know, over 10,000 subscribers. I was a huge fan. I've seen um, the Backstreet Boys in concert actually like over a hundred times. Um, and wow. that was prior to working with them. I, I just was a huge fan and I, I loved being a fan and I became fans of other artists. Like I kind of went from Backstreet Boys to Dave Matthews Band, which is sort of a weird transition. But I'm I just- make a confession. I did go take my wife to watch the Backstreet Boys in Vegas. And they were actually awesome. So that was fun. It was a great, that's a great show. I loved it. And I got to be, um, you know, a part of that. We can get more into that later, but I got to be a part of launching that show and it was awesome. But, you know, so my background was, you know, kind of being a hardcore fan and that made me fall in love with the music business. And I, um, I did research, you know, when I was in high school about where I could study music business. And that sort of led me to Nashville where there's a lot of different schools there for that pro for um, studying that field, I ended up going to Middle Tennessee State University and studying music business there. And that's when my sort of world with digital and music collided. Uh, MySpace came out and became popular the first year I was in college. And I remember turning to my now business partner, who was just a friend of mine who lived a couple um, dorm rooms down. And I was like, I'm going to do this. For, I'm going to run MySpace pages for a living. And she was like, okay, that's interesting. And that and, was revolutionary um, at the time because that wasn't really a thing, right? It was very new. No, it wasn't a thing at all. And the only, there was no major label artists doing it yet. The only artists I was seeing it were like a couple college bands were, um, you know, were using it. And I was like, why don't like big bands use this? So I was a Warner college rep at the time. Like, you know, it's kind of like, that was, you know, I was on my journey of building my resume and I was at you know, Warner College Rep and I went to my boss and I was like, I want to run some of these MySpace page that we work on. And she was kind of like, I don't really know what that means, but I'll figure out how to let you explore that and do that. And I did that for a group called the Click Five and I made them number one on the MySpace charts and the Warner Music Group took notice of that and they connected me with Warner Music Nashville. And I ended up working in their office on all things digital while I was in college work um you know i started with you know i set up all their myspace pages of course because i was good at that but then uh, something that was popular at the time was ringtones so i worked on um like pushing ringtones but then building websites it's so funny how uh, how technology has evolved right from yeah different so ringtones um newsletters and websites which you know still matter today but those were you know some of the and then street teams um, were all big part of my job there and i i really liked what i was doing and the problem at the time was that I liked what I was doing, but I was a temp because there wasn't really jobs doing like social media things yet. So I was a temp for three years, which was fine. I was in college that worked and 
they offered me other jobs within the system, but I would kind of had to have moved away from what I was doing and digital and communicating with fans. That's why I liked digital because it, I was able to communicate with fans and I always would think about, man, how cool that have been. If I, you know, when I was younger, people were, you know, my favorite artists were using social media the way that um, I'm using, I'm helping artists, you know, learn how to use it. So I really enjoyed that. And we, me and my business partner um, started CrowdSurf kind, not because we ever really had the dream of being entrepreneurs, but there wasn't, we, we, we were both doing this for, uh, Warner, I, I was handling the country roster and she was handling the Christian and comedy roster there. Just tell us a little bit about CrowdSurf and what you guys do. Yeah. So that, you know, so yeah, so that led into CrowdSurf and what we do now is, um, we handle digital marketing strategy and, um, and yeah, basically broadly digital marketing strategy for artists and, and entertainers and sometimes brands. And, you know, what that means now is, you know, helping them create content and, you know, execute sharing content on an ongoing basis on social media, building their websites, figuring out what their relationship is with their fan base and how to communicate with them, figuring out how you're going to launch a tour and sell tickets or how you're going to launch a single and it be successful and get the most eyeballs possible are all part of our job that we do today. Wow, that sounds awesome. So how did you transition then from working with Warner Brothers in Nashville at this point, right? Into yeah. then starting your own business. Well, Cause that's kind of a big jump for most people when they've got a job or an internship or something semi-secure and it's like, okay, I'm going to go all in on my own business and back myself. What was kind of going through your mind and your process, your process at that point? You know, I, I think that we both realized that we wanted to do this um, probably about six months before we decided to do it. And what we did was we started shopping for potential clients outside of our job. And as I remember as soon as I locked my first contract, I was like, okay, I can go do this now and have enough income to do it. So it was, it was kind of, it was planning in advance and making sure that I it was doing both jobs at the same time, basically like setting up the company and securing a client outside of the Warner system. And, you know, we secured a couple of them and we were like, okay, we're able to do this. Now we have, we have enough income coming in that we can abandon, you know, our, our current jobs. And um, we've left on good terms and a lot of the projects that we were working on at the label actually ended up becoming clients of our company. Cause we, you know, had, we were open and honest about what, we wanted to do and they were supportive of it. That's really good. So, and it always helps, right? Starting a business with contracts in hand rather than having to scrap around from a cash flow perspective. But yeah, talk about that. So you've been in business now for 13 plus years. How has your business evolved? Cause I'm assuming it's pivoted so much with just technologies and outreach and data over those 13 years from back then to kind of more recent times, what's kind of been the trends that you've ridden or lessons that you've learned along the, along the way? Yeah, well, our day-to-day tasks have changed a lot because when we started, it was basically running a MySpace page and that's evolved into multiple platforms now. And we've had to, you know, we've I've seen a lot of social media, you know, platforms rise and fall. So it's it's being able to, 
be excited about change and knowing that you're going to learn how to do something really well and it's not going to matter a year from now. You have to, you know, constantly be building your skill set and figuring out, you know, how to utilize new tools that are coming onto the market and sort of being a trendsetter. And, and I, I would say a lot of other companies and other brands and artists copy the and have copied the ideas that and formats that we use for our artists, um, which I think is great. I love it. If you see somebody doing something good online, like figure out how to learn from it and, you know, copy it if it makes sense, you know, copy their strategy. It, you know, don't. Yeah, I guess that can be quite, uh, quite difficult as well, though, because now, whereas in the past, you've only maybe had to learn one or two platforms and you could ride that wave for a while. It seems to me, at least, you know, and I'm no expert in this, but every six months or so, there's a new platform popping up that you've got to then re-engineer, figure out whatever latest algorithm has changed or what have you. Um, yeah. How do you go about doing that in terms of if people are listening and they're trying to crack the TikTok code or, you know, whatever the latest platform is, um, what advice would you give them? I would say that when you see a new platform, figure out a way to give it a shot early on. Uh, I, I've been telling people for four years to use TikTok, which is now Musical.ly. And people were so, I would say most of my clients were resistant to it until this past year. And they would be so much farther ahead if they would have, you know, just been okay with adopting a platform that's not as popular as it is now. Like, I think try things out and know sometimes they're not going to work or sometimes it's going to take a second to figure out where your spot is on that platform. But try things out early because if it, it's, it's like investing in the right company or like in seed round versus like round, you know, series A, series B, the earlier you get in on it, the more return you're going to get if it's successful that's actually a really good way to put it in comparing it to kind of uh, raising funds yeah uh, one of the guys that i follow is called gary v and, and he he analyzes it in a, in a super simple way he's like as soon as a new platform reaches the top 100 he's literally on it playing around with it trying to figure it out uh, just to see if it's going to be good or bad and, and it's like you said you've got to vest yourself in to maybe five different platforms and put that time in just in case one of them pops and kind of makes it into the next best thing, right? Yeah, and he's really good about that and really great about giving things a shot and sort of playing around and figuring out what content works for him on that platform until he can tell that it's it goes and like that, you know, he's found like his angle for that platform because his TikTok content is very different from his Instagram content. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that he kind of drills into people is that the content per platform has to be very different because the end user is very different. So, for instance, on LinkedIn, you're more talking B2B. It's more going to be more professional, maybe long-form writing versus Instagram, which is going to be a picture versus TikTok is going to be a dance move or, you know, or a song. Yeah. So it's all very different. So you've got to be specific to to who's watching or consuming that content absolutely i agree all right so and none of that's mine i, I don't know anything about this this is all gary v um he's great i love watching i love following his social media it's it's awesome and he gives a lot of really great advice so can we talk a little bit about your business so you started off very humble beginnings and now you've grown this into a relatively large business um 
how how have you went about one building that up in terms of headcount, two controlling the culture, and three becoming so successful? Yeah, um, you know, headcount. You know, we're at about forty five now, and I, I don't think I would want much bigger staff than that, at least not at the moment. And it it kind of built over time. You know, it it didn't. I never like was like okay, I have this many positions and this uh and I want to hire this many people I I sort of as I secure work I hire enough people to to do it that's that's essentially you know the strategy for that and it's built slowly over time it hasn't you know um it hasn't you know got it didn't just go up real fast one day it was very gradual Uh, in terms of culture still figuring that out it's hard and it's it's a whole new journey figuring it out how do you build culture when you're not all together that's been uh another another sort of situation because I would say to me like personally like I'm not a big um culture person like as an employee I I, that never really like impacted me or motivated me to do my job or not but I've I had to really learn that everyone's different and culture is really important to some people and I, I needed to you know seek outside help and ideas and coaching for how I you know how to do that better but really utilizing people who know that and getting advice from them and listening to them. I think learning to listen to people, even though I didn't personally relate to it, um, is a journey I'm still on, but it was a big part of that. That's a good leadership tool is that just because it wasn't really pressing or prevalent for yourself, doesn't mean it isn't for the other 40, 50 people that work for you. So it's surrounding yourself with the right team that can instill those qualities or that confidence for the overall greater good of the business, right? For sure. It's really important to realize, it's important to realize that not everyone is like you. And I think that was something that took me a couple of years to be like, why don't they work as hard as me? Why don't they understand why you would approach the situation the same way I did? And it's because everyone's not you. And that's a, it's, you know, that's a journey I'm still on, but that's something I'm doing better at and, it takes a lot of um, mental exercise to train yourself to react differently to different situations. Yeah. And ultimately you don't want everyone to be like you because then you're all no. the same, right? Having that blend of different personalities is what makes you guys unique and stand out. Absolutely. I agree. And uh, I think I feel good about that now, but that was a hard thing to arrive to. Yeah, I got it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, ups and downs along the way so can you tell us some of the really good ups and then some of the downs so that people realize that it wasn't just an overnight success and there was like a lot of time and effort put into making crowdsurf so successful yeah a a ton of up and a ton of ups and downs you know i'd say great moments are like when you know we got offered a contract to work on britney spears or got offered a contract to work on backstreet boys and launching both of those shows in in Vegas. Um, those were amazing moments. Um, working on Fifth Harmony from when they were formed on X Factor to watching them win fan voted awards where we helped them build that fan base. Those, that kind of stuff is really rewarding and really exciting. And, you know, being able to go see a concert in person and, you know, see that fan base that you help build is super, it, it, I can't describe it. it. It makes all the hard stuff worth it for me. Uh, in terms of downs, I, I think that's something I learned the hard way is that just because you send an invoice and you do the job doesn't mean you get paid on time or paid at all. And I, I, I think I just wish that I had had more information on like 
how people actually pay their invoices or knowing that you have to protect yourself and sometimes people won't pay you and to anticipate that. And that created some, you know, some financial hardship, especially at the beginning of this to, you know, you hire people to do a job and do work and then they disappear and you don't get paid for it. And, you know, you're not able to, to pay yourself and you, it's, it's, that's, that, I think that's, you know, I think those sort of financial moments have been some of the, the really, really hard ones to recover from. And, um, you know, I do my best to protect myself from, from that now and from my team from it, but there's still moments where you're chasing something and you're like, I really hope that this check that I was promised it was in the mail is actually coming because I, I need that to, you know, pay people. So I think the, the real, the real part of like money and chasing it is, is the, definitely a big thing for me. From a financial perspective, it boils back down to cash flow and controlling kind of the ins and outs and which is the biggest reason that businesses fail. It's not profitability. It's not people. It's, it's hundred percent cash flow is that. Yeah. Whatever reason, let's just use an example like this. You've already done the work. You've already got your staff invested in hours of kind of promoting or whatever their tasks are you're going to pay your staff right there's no two ways about that you can't not nope. pay your staff but if a vendor of yours is either delaying it by a month or two then it's got, like you said it comes out of your pocket it's going to take resources out of the business elsewhere and if, if that's not factored in or if the cash flow of the business can't handle that that's uh, the biggest factor that businesses close. So that's where uh, having a good finance team and a good mm -hmm. legal team really comes in handy. And, and we found it with a lot of our clients, especially at the early stages where cash flow is just a lot more tight. And yep. every, every penny counts or every dollar counts, as, as you guys say in America. Um, yeah. It, it's really important to make sure that you've got those contracts in place, you've got trust built. And if that means taking payments in milestones and over a period of time rather than all at the end, then there's things you can do to kind of mitigate that risk in one lump. Yeah, for sure. No, that it all makes sense. And I've learned that the hard way and I'm much, you know, stronger and take that much more seriously now, but I was never, finance was never like my strength or my, uh, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't really care a lot about money in the beginning and I wish I would have. And not, and not because um, I think I associated want money, like caring too much about money with being like greedy or, you know, it was more like a psychological, like guilty thing, but being part of, part of running a business is, is money and you, you know, it, you can't feel weird about it. You have to like feel comfortable, you know, don't feel uncomfortable with chasing your money. Like don't feel uncomfortable with prioritizing it. It's, it's, it keeps you it keeps you in the job that you like no absolutely and it's important right because without it you don't have a business you don't get to have a staff of 40 plus people and no. impact multiple lives right because it's bigger than just you at that point yeah and, and it's you know i think another up is like watching people be able to buy a house with the salary that you give them that's 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 something i never really like anticipated being an up for me but that's really cool or watching somebody be able to like have their first kid and be able to support them with the salary that you're paying them. That, that kind of stuff feels really good too. No, that's awesome. Cause that gives you a different sense of meaning at that point, rather than initially you were just clear on the fact that you wanted to chase a dream and kind of be in the music industry, however that worked for you. And then morphing that into now you're supporting 40 plus people, their spouses, their kids and their dreams 
which, uh, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's something I didn't anticipate really enjoying. I mean, I get I, why wouldn't you enjoy that? But it's just it wasn't why I did this, but I really enjoy that aspect of it. Now. That's really cool. So as we talked about technology changing and pivoting, if you were to pick kind of the next up and coming platforms, what, what do you think are the next two or three that are rising up right now? Um, you know, it's, it's hard because like, I, I kind of like waited for TikTok to happen for so long. I would say for four years, I was saying musically, which is now TikTok, you have to be on that. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see like what these sort of like TikTok competitors do. And it's like, for example, I'm watching um, what's happening in India where TikTok has been banned and there's an app called Reposo. So I'm, I'm kind of studying that and seeing if it's going to go, how, how much, you know, marketing I can do within that platform is it going to go outside of India so that's one I'm kind of keeping my eye on um, I think that there's um, a texting platform called community where if you're seeing a bunch of celebrities and like Gary Vee has a number two where you can text and talk to people and I, I see that technology continuing to grow and being a huge part of people's platforms so I think have you know having some sort of friendly way to text with your consumers one-on-one -on -one and broadly, whether it's community or another platform, I think is. So it's being more interactive with, with the celebrity or with the band or whoever you're trying to communicate with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that um, a lot more communication from celebrities is going to be one-to-one -one or in smaller groups versus broad, like, like you know, kind of like how Instagram broadcasts everywhere. I think there's a lot more I'm seeing a lot more marketing and I think it's going to continue to happen like in Instagram DMs on these text platforms. Um, I think, you know, you know, people will figure out how to use WhatsApp in an interesting marketing way, but I just see more not public interactions with celebrities. Can, uh, I think that's going to be a, a sector that grows a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Thanks for that insight. So as we look to wrap up, I normally end with this one question. And it's if you had to attribute your success between three factors, how would you split it accordingly between drive, skill, and luck? Drive, skill, and look? Look, as in lucky. Sorry. Okay. It's, it's the English. Oh, luck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I would contribute most of, I would say probably equally between drive and skill and a little bit of luck. I think, you know, everyone gets a little bit of luck or gets moments, but I think that a lot of my drive put me in the right positions and locations to take care of luck when the opportunity existed. Awesome. I think you, I call it like um, strategic placement of oneself for like better opportunities. Uh, you, there's a lot you can do to, to put yourself in a situation where you're more likely to, um, be to be lucky and um i would say my drive helped I, I i do think i'm very skilled at digital marketing and marketing in general and um and you know managing artists and managing teams and but th that you know that skill d derived you know from my drive so i would say those are the you know the two most important things awesome thank you so much so um if people want to reach out to you What's the best website for them to, or platform for them to reach out to you on? I would say my Instagram, and it's just at Cassie Petrie, C-A-S-S-I-E-P-E-T-R-E-Y. And I check my DMs, my comments, 
I'll, I'll, I'm on it a lot. So Great. And we'll put the link just down there so that everyone can contact just quite easily. So thank you so much for your time, Cassie. Thank uh, you. You've been fantastic. Appreciate it.